This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. They actually did a study where they had people use broad spectrum sunscreen over the course of a year daily. They actually showed significant improvement in the appearance clinically of photoaging with sunscreen alone. Wow. I want to say that again. Wow. Sunscreen alone. So people are coming, spending all kinds of time and money getting procedures done, spending all kinds of time and money trying to find the right products, doing God knows what for skincare. You are completely defeating the entire purpose if sunscreen is not a priori, a top part of that entire plan, period. End of discussion. Welcome to Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. I'm Dr. Danielle Bellardo, and I'm a cardiologist who loves evidence-based medicine and nutrition science. But as a millennial, I've watched endless wellness fads take over social media. It's my mission to get to the bottom of things by bringing on the top expert physicians and scientists to help us determine what is fact versus fiction when it comes to your health. It's time to leave the pseudoscience behind and become empowered when it comes to our wellness. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Wellness Fact versus Fiction. This week, we have a return guest, everyone's favorite dermatologist, Dr. Ronella Hirsch. And this week, Dr. Ronella Hirsch, who is a board-certified dermatologist, we're going to address some of the biggest and longest-standing misconceptions about sunscreen. Dr. Ronella Hirsch is a board-certified dermatologist highly sought after by the media for her expertise in the fields of cosmetic and laser dermatology. She often lectures to physicians in the fields of laser surgery and cosmetic dermatology and is currently involved in a number of clinical studies of laser technologies and skincare. She's also recognized as a leading mythbuster on Instagram, where she can be found at Ranella MD. She's the co-founder of Atala Skin, which was acquired last year by Function of Beauty. Ranella is my favorite human on earth who gives me the most amazing skincare advice. I consider her my personal dermatologist, although she probably will tell you that she gets annoyed with my thousands of text messages about, can I triple layer my sunscreen? How many uh, layers of UPF uh, coverage can I wear? But she's proud of me for my crazy uh, sunscreen obsession. Hi, Ranella. Hello. Respectful disagreement, Dr. Goletter. I have dreams of patients who physically, you know, protect themselves as you do in a literal boast of armor from the sun. So I have actual fantasies about having patients like you. It is not my life. I have to tell you, though, I have to tell you, though, the struggle is real, though. I think I constantly complain to you about this, but anyone listening to this is going to you're going to roll your eyes big time. But, uh, you know, I love living in Southern California. I'm so happy here. It's amazing. And I love the weather. Literally, the reason why I love it so much. But I do struggle with the fact that I love running, working out outside, surfing, 
And even if you are covered head to toe in sunscreen, which I've sent you pictures of me where I am literally like, I don't even care about the white cast or anything. Like I will look straight up like a ghost and cover myself in sunscreen. I still get incidental color. Like just yesterday at the gym, one of my friends was like, wow, you're so tan. And I'm like, it's not on purpose. I literally just from walking, running, even if I stay out of the UV exposure. So the struggle is real, even when you're trying to keep the UV rays out. But thanks to you and all of your amazing advice, I've at least minimized, hopefully, any uh, sun damage. <laughs> but I think that you live like I do in the real world, right? Like you and I both have the same dream, which is we love our patients dearly. We also are very happy when they graduate or turn us into something obsolescent. If someone is managing to repair some of the cardiac findings they're having because of some of the dietary changes you're giving them, if someone is able to, you know, make good choices, as we say, it, this is a good thing. I'm I'm delighted to have people find me no longer helpful, you know? So true. Well, I, I do find you helpful. Are you kidding? What are you talking about? Are you kidding? Are you trying to get rid of me? I will never stop asking you all these questions. So Ranella is here to talk about the biggest sunscreen myths. So I, I made this tweet that said that sunscreen is the best anti-aging thing that exists, whatever, that bro science won't tell you about. And this tweet went pretty viral and I put it on Instagram as well. And boy, was I shocked with the anti-sunscreen crowd. I haven't had trolling this intense in a long time. People telling me that I was going to murder people by telling them they could use chemical sunscreen People telling me that I was going to murder them for recommending people uh, uh, use sunscreen. They're not going to get enough vitamin D. The sun is good for you. The sun prevents skin cancer. The craziest things. And as you are very familiar with this crowd and the <laughs> the wild misinformation here, but let me tell you, boy, are is the anti-sunscreen crowd quite vocal and a little scary? So... I mean, you're on it because there was a really, I think, sentinel paper that came out just last month, like a month ago. And it basically was exactly what this, what we're talking about, this quantification of what misinformation circulates on social media under the guise of skin cancer, but obviously tons on sunscreen. And it is just horrifying when you listen to their conclusions. It's, you know, talking about how sunscreen contains carcinogens, false. How it causes immune dysfunction, false. How you will have irrevocable vitamin D deficiency, false. You know, they love to talk to you about um, you know, DIY sunscreen. I hope we get into that. That's a personal fave. You know, don't need it on a cloudy day. Don't need to reapply. Don't need it on this part of your body. You're black. You don't need sunscreen. And the amazing thing is one of the papers, there was another paper actually, which actually looked at um, pediatric sunscreen misinformation. Really interesting. And one of the things from that paper, Tomingas paper, I found fascinating. Turns out you have massively higher user engagement with misinformation than you ever can even dream of having with the actual data. And when you think about the vicious cycle that that creates on platforms whose entire goal is to get, keep, and keep more some eyeballs, you can only imagine why this nonsense just keeps on, keeps on keeping on, you know? Couple that with the fact that most of these people are selling you something is the alternative to what they're, you know, making you so afraid of. So between people looking to make a buck and platforms using that misinformation for their own you know, purposes, it's, it's not a good setup. So your timing is fantastic. This paper is, I encourage everyone to read it. It's open access. You can find it. I have it on my, I, I will post it when this goes live. It is eye-opening beyond. 
You know, that is interesting. And, and also there is some, there's like a common theme with a lot of the misinformation space. So a lot of the people <laughs> trolling me about the anti-sunscreen brigade that came by were a lot of the same people who promote nutrition misinformation. So there's a lot I'm of- I'm really shocked, Dr. I- Berlardo. You don't say selling something unregulated for profit. The Venn diagram of natural, holistic health, ancestral (laughs) eating, keto, and anti-sunscreen is a circle. It's not even a Venn, it's a circle. Well, their ancestors ate meat and, you know, had no skin cancer. So there you go, babe. It's all, it's all happening, you know. It's unbelievable. So, well, let's get into it. This is going to be a fun one. So I'm so excited you're back. So let's start with some of the top sunscreen myths. So number one, if you apply sunscreen in the morning, you're set for the day. True or false? Fact versus fiction. No, no, we wish, we wish. So the reality is that most sun exposure is actually incidental. We have a very different view of the sun, I think, here in like North America, the U.S. and the rest of the world. And I think that's probably why in a lot of ways they do it better than us. We have always grown up with this idea that sunscreen is like, oh, we're heading to the beach. Let's grab some, throw it in the car and slap it on when we get there. Yeah, see, that's the wrong answer. It really is not a situation where you get kind of like a short little blast and get an overdose at the beach and that's it. Certainly that's not great. And certainly we have some data to show that isn't particularly helpful. But the reality is the massive amount of sun exposure is the stuff when you're not thinking about it, when you're driving your car, when you're, you know, just taking a walk to get the mail, when you're walking to and from your car at the grocery store. And we don't think of it that way. And as a consequence, That's why so much of it is missed, because even when we kind of, you know, cover ourselves, so to speak, to go do weekend warrior stuff, it just doesn't reflect how the real world works. That's a really interesting thing, too, because that always comes back to one is clearly one of the questions I get the most on social media, which is I'm going to be indoors. Do I really need to? And look, you know, hey, your indoor home between you, God, the mailman and whoever I don't you know, I don't vote. But. Tell me a day in the real world where you have managed to stay in your house and not for a single reason wind up running out to do something, running out to get a kid, running out because the dog needs, you know, things you didn't plan for, that all of a sudden you're out in the world. Not to mention, you know, indoors, yes, if you're in the middle of a room and there's not a lot of windows, you're probably not going to have the most trouble. But if you're sitting like I do in front of a big window at your desk, Yeah, you know, I mean, UV does not discriminate, you know, it's going to come right through. And so, so the reality is, yes, you know, I also have to say, because I am, in fact, somebody's mother, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to make habits. I put sunscreen on as my moisturizer every morning. You know why? Because then I don't have to think about it. And that is a really wonderful and powerful thing. So that wasn't even the answer to your question, just a Renella rant. But basically, it's really, really important that people understand sunscreen does not work, that you put it on and you kind of go about an active day. Is that true if you're indoors all day, sedentary? You know, not the same story. But when we're talking about now, summertime in the U.S., people going out, heading to the beach, it doesn't cover you all day. I think we're going to talk about this, but sunscreen functions by causing a film, creating a film on your skin. That's actually how it works. And that actually explains a lot of the things that people misinterpret as being other things. That film, like anything else, just isn't perfect. It's like, think of it almost like foundation. You put foundation on, foundation moves during the course of the day. You blow your nose, you wipe your face, you use your phone, something. Sunscreen's the same way. 
not even just the obvious of like swimming or sweating and it comes off, just moving around. You lose that film. Your coverage is not as good. So that's very often why we see people getting sun damage, sun, you know, sunburn, what have you, after they've quote unquote reapplied. So the answer is no. It's constantly being removed from our skin throughout the day and you do need to reapply. I'm getting a little PTSD as we talk about this because I'm thinking of all of the uh, comments. I'm looking at I'm looking at the tweet because I wanted to pull up some of my favorite comments that I got. I mean, I haven't been trolled like this on social media in so long, and I can't believe sunscreen. The hilarious part is that I'm not a dermatologist, so it's so funny, like worse than any other trolling. But I'm so glad you said that because specifically in my tweet, I said the most underrated anti-aging fountain of youth biohack that bro-science won't tell you is sunscreen all the time the second you get up every day all year long and it prevents skin cancer too and then i did say in my caption i said yes even if you work inside just make it part of your routine like you said reapply every two hours if you're outside and mineral or chemical it doesn't matter just pick one and so i love that you just reiterated every single thing i said in the fact that you actually were the first person to say that to me like just make sunscreen a part of your routine in the morning Exactly. And you are so evidence-based, you probably don't even know this because I'm guessing with all the work you do, you probably don't troll the dermatologic literature. But in 2016, in Derm Surge, which is one of our you know reputable journals, there was a paper, I have to, I'm trying to remember the month, it, it, it escapes me, Radawa et al. And they actually did a study where they had people use broad spectrum sunscreen over the course of a year daily. They actually showed significant improvement in the appearance clinically of photoaging with sunscreen alone. Wow. I want to say that again. Wow. Sunscreen alone. So you are not just inferring something. You are actually saying stuff as you, the evidence queen loves, that has real now data behind it. And it's something derms have been saying forever. Forever. We know this. I mean, so it's not even just the fact that, you know, how many people do I see that I'm treating for things that are made worse by the sun, by pigmentation, by, you know, fine line, by wrinkling, by crepiness, all of those things. So people are coming, spending all kinds of time and money getting procedures done, spending all kinds of time and money trying to find the right products, doing God knows what for skincare. You are completely defeating the entire purpose if sunscreen is not a priori, a top part of that entire plan, period, end of discussion. And to me, the sort of even more than that is the fact that we now have some data to show, again, sunscreen alone will remove signs of photoaging. If that Unreal. doesn't convince people, I'm not really sure what else I got. That's, that's kind of it. Okay, here's number two. I have SPF in my makeup or moisturizer. I'm good. Fact versus fiction. So in theory, it's true, but in practice, it's not. So the problem there is, you know, remember, you need about a shot glass worth to get your face and neck covered. And the problem is, when you're thinking about stuff like makeup or foundation, you know, you're just not putting that much on your face. You would look really like someone in a mortuary, you know, like the dead rising, which is not a good look. And so the problem is too, keep in mind, do most people put foundation in a lot of the spots we miss, you know, the tops of your ears, on your neck, on your throat, on the sides of your neck? No, they don't. So there's that. So the problem is it's almost in some ways theoretically true And I will say that declaratively. I want to make sure, because this is one of those places where, again, nuggets get converted. 
if something has an SPF label on it, a makeup product, a foundation, it by law underwent the same testing as any SPF product that is labeled and marketed as a sunscreen here in the U.S. Okay. So if it says SPF 25, there's a caveat. The caveat is you have to use enough. And the great majority of people, enough is in the same way that it was tested, which is two milligrams per centimeter squared, which again, in English is about half a teaspoon for your face and neck. And there is almost no one alive who could do that and look like a normal person. So that's number one. And then number two, especially again, if you're an active person, how many people reapply foundation throughout the day? Most do not. Does this apply to moisturizer as well? So if you have sunscreen, if it says SPF in your moisturizer, if you apply it liberally, is that okay? Yeah, it really is. That's actually one of my great okay, things. Great. Or my my opposite trick, like what I'm wearing right now is my actually my personal favorite tinted product of the moment. And it is moisturizing enough, even though it's labeled as a sunscreen, that I use it as my moisturizer. So those you can absolutely do. And that's one of my favorite for tricks for busy people. Find yourself a great sunscreen that has very moisturizing base. Look for glycerin, look for niacinamide, look for things like that. Or find a moisturizer that you will use which does have, now remember, we're going to, I'm guessing we're going to cover this too, SPF only speaks to some part of the protection. You have to really look for something that says broad spectrum, but they exist and they're out there and it's a very good option as long as you use enough. Okay, excellent. So next up, waterproof sunscreen versus regular sunscreen. What's the difference and is one better than the other and what do we have to know about it? Right. So that's actually a trick question I think you're you're posing to me. And that's because waterproof is no longer a thing. The FDA actually no longer lets you use the word waterproof because what they discovered, and it's actually true, is that it gives people this false sense that it never goes away. And everything about sunscreen relies on the premise of understanding that it's about putting an even film on your skin. And there is no such thing as being able to have it completely be sweatproof, waterproof, anything like that. So you can't even use that term anymore. What we have, and the regulated term, is what we call water-resistant. Mm. And water-resistant does speak to certain kinds of testing. It differs a little bit where you are geographically. But here in the U.S., it speaks to a certain amount of time where you retain full effectiveness of the um, sunscreen product after it has been exposed to water or in a pool or what have you. So that's a guideline to use. So still want to reapply. It doesn't mean you can't, but that's where I lean in for people, especially who are like running on a hot day and they're sweating. If you're swimming outdoors, if you're hiking, those are great things to look for. But again, it's water resistant and not waterproof on a similar vein. Um, same thing with the words sunblock and sunscreen. You will notice if you go looking, many people probably didn't even notice, but you won't see the word sunblock anymore. Sunblock, same thing, was giving people this false sense that things were impenetrable. You could put it on once and go about, you know, go about, you know, move about the cabin and be left alone. No, you actually get protection. It's a screen. But again, it's all about the film. It does not last forever. You got to keep reapplying. Excellent. Yeah. You know, and as much as I'm a huge advocate for wearing tons of sunscreen, as you know, from the selfies I send you, you know, it's not 100%. The next one is, if I use sunscreen, that's all I need to do for protection. Fact versus fiction. So that's definitely a fiction. And the American Academy of Dermatology, uh, World Health Organization, American Society of Pediatrics, Dr. Berlardo, 
I mean, all of us kind of, all, all the authorities agree, it's part of an overall sunscreen strategy. We know that sunscreen is actually not in any way a standalone. It's meant to be combined with seeking shade. It's absolutely meant to be combined with protecting your eyes, wearing sunglasses, wearing a hat. Uh, UPF clothing, which you mentioned, is fantastic. I love it, especially for kids. It makes life so, so easy. And particularly in terms of the sun, really making an effort to avoid that hottest midday sun of 10 to 3, where we know that you get that kind of really awful, heavy, heavy ray of sun. So, yes. And by the way, when you hear a dermatologist talk about sun protection, oftentimes I find, especially on social media, that's interpreted as being interchangeable with sunscreen. It's not. To us, it's an entire kind of program, just as you said. Um, I will tell everyone I'm going to out you right here about the fact that you laughed at me. When I sent you a picture of me in my visor, my well, my welding shield, <laughs> I have this visor. Okay, that's um, the one of these sun protecting visors, and you were like, Danielle, just walk on the beach, wear a hat, enjoy yourself. I look like a robot, but I like I know that sunscreen, like you said, it is just one part of the equation, like that Swiss cheese model, and. Oh, just like the pandemic. Exactly. It's a great model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you were teasing me about it. And I know you I know you love it and appreciate it. I've experimented. Rinella knows this with every kind of UPF hat and different kinds of hats. I have every size of hat. It really is worth it to find something that works for you. Reason why is because, you know, a, a regular baseball hat, you'd be surprised, like does not give you that much sun coverage um, when you're on a hike or something. Right. And so no. but then. At the same time, you can't have a hat that's too big and cumbersome, like depending on what you're doing, if you're doing something active, especially like a hike. So I've tried various different kinds of hats and there's lots of different options. And Ronell and I will both link to a bunch of them in our stories where neither of us are affiliated with any of these companies. I've literally paid for them all myself. I think also the fact is too, is that so even for that shield, I mentioned in my Instagram stories, um, I love it, but it actually, it gives me like a headache after a while because it's like a tight band and the shield that covers your face. So it provides great sun protection. So say if after you have a laser treatment or if you have like microneedling or something and you have to be outside and your skin's more sensitive, it's obviously good for protection, but you can't wear it for that long because it really does like kind of hurt, squeeze your brain. The cardiologist will win on this one because I do not own, nor would I dream of wearing this welder shield that I see some people <laughs> like you with in a million years. I mean, again, what I've always found is that it's just, so dermatologists have been saying, this is not my line. This has been said by many people before me, will be said by many people after me. The best sun protection is what you will use. So yes. you have to find what works for you. For me, it's really pretty simple. I have found that there's a product, I'm wearing it right now. I really like it. It gives me a little bit of a glow because it's got a little bit of a tint. Mm. It also kind of is very moisturizing because I run dry. It's really nice for someone like me with sensitive skin. For me, it's a no-brainer. It goes on. I don't think about it anymore. Is that if I'm running, if I'm you know out playing soccer with the kids or doing something? No, I'm going to put something on in addition to that. But you find what works for you, right. and then you you plan accordingly. And so that's the other challenge too, right? Like everyone wants you to say, "Well, do this or do that," and that prescriptive model just doesn't work. Totally. You have to really. I think there are just as we've talked about many times, there are so many parallels to diet, so many and things parallels. like that. Where you know, again, you can give all these sort of prescriptive, and you don't. You're wonderful, but you know, you get these prescriptive things on on you know these declarative statements. Eat this, don't eat that. Right. And it's like, well, no. 
you know, I'm glad this worked for you, but that doesn't necessarily mean it works for someone else. There is a whole spectrum of things, pun perhaps intended, that could work for you. And it's really about finding those that do and finding those that are within reason for you. For me, I mean, we're not, you know, not even joking. I would not wear a welder's hat. I'm chasing after small children. I'm like living my life and I don't want to be wearing a welder's hat. Totally. And the truth is, the truth is, though, is that it also depends on where you live, right? You live in Boston and the sun, yes, Ronell is nodding right now. You know, it's so different where you live and where I live, right? So like my incidental sun exposure when I'm going to the mailbox, when I'm driving to work is always higher than yours, you know, always. And so for me, for someone who loves to do active things outside, I've made the choice to be, you know, wear a ton of these different kind of hats that you may think are, you know, a little nuts, but it's because oh, I'm, I'm just teasing. She appreciates it, but it's because, you know, my incidental sun exposure is so much higher. And also because I love doing things outside. And so rather than like take away, like if it's a Saturday and I want to go on a hike with my friends, rather than saying, well, I can't do it because it's sunny out or whatever, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to wear, I found this really deep set hat that has like really good sun protection. Yeah, it's wear, super cute. It's super cute. Um, the Kova, I love cute. it. So I was going to say one, just uh, jumping on to what you're talking about, a trick that dermatologists, many of us use, and it's actually much more widely used outside the United States. And I cannot figure out why, because it's something I absolutely rely on. Uh, it's called the UV index, the ultraviolet love index. It. And basically yes. it's an international standard that accounts for how strong sunburn producing UV is, but it accounts for it as to a specific time and a specific place. And it basically takes into account all the things. Is it cloudy? Where are you in relation to the equator? What time of day is it? You know, what is your altitude? It takes into account all of that. And what's quite wonderful, it's a scale one to 11 plus, and it is just fantastic because it really allows you to think through your day like, oh, okay. It's often so for me, for example, in the morning, it'll be a UV of two or three where it could go up to nine that day or something. And it's just, okay. I can plan around that. I want to go for a run. Let me do it at 530 and not do it at midday at noon. And just for people to know, it is unbelievably widely accessible. One, just go to any weather app scroll down. It is right there for you. It is on the base Apple weather app if you have an iPhone. And I'm also happy to report, as even my little children can attest, you can ask Alexa for it and she will give it to you every morning Ah. for the day, wherever you are. It is absolute ritual in my household at breakfast that somebody will ask what the UV index is for the day. But the beautiful thing about that is that it's real person, real place, real time. And it really allows you to be a little bit smarter. So it's actually one of my favorite tools. I have a post about it when this airs, I'll put it up. And it's just amazing to me because it is so everybody, one of my best friends lives in Sydney, Australia. They use it all the time. time. they, They don't even think twice about it. And for some reason, it's just not a thing here. So you and I, my friend, we're going to make it a thing. We're going to make it a thing. I love the UV index. Let me give you guys the exact reason why I'm obsessed with UV index. So when I lived in Philly um, at the end of cardiology fellowship is when I learned about UV index. And I remember starting to just check it out. And it was pretty consistent with what I think, you know, between 10 and 2 is like higher, et cetera. When I moved here um, to Southern California, especially if you're I'm um, on the beach, if you're by the ocean, you could, I think previously I used to associate sunburn with heat and I used to, um, with temperature, with sweating, with things like that, with sunniness. I realized the UV index made me realize that there could be a UV index 
of nine here in Southern California. And the temperature could be 60. Like it could be chilly. The UV index could be nine and it could be cloudy. And in Philly, that same feeling of the air, that same temperature, the UV index was two. And so it's because of the geography. It's because of, you know, I'm by the ocean. It's because of all these other variables that change the way it feels. So it's truly revolutionary in the way I looked at the sun exposure because I realized, wow, so you can't just feel when you're going to get sunburned because in Southern California, it can feel like a UV index of two that would be in the Northeast and it could be a UV index of nine. I literally cannot love that more. People always, always confuse that. And the worst sunburns, ask any dermatologist that we see, are skiers and people near water because of the reflection of the UV. No one calculates for it because at the beach, you feel it's cooler. It's skiing. You're, you know, completely people think, whoa. And those are almost inevitably the worst burns because people don't think to protect. And so I cannot love what you just said anymore. It is so completely And the temperature, right? The temperature and the breeze, totally. So if you go from where I am on the beach, it could be 65, UV index is nine. You feel like it could be a little cloudy and you could feel like, oh, it's like cool out. I don't need sunblock. You could literally go 10 minutes inland, 10 minutes inland, and it's 85, like 20 degrees hotter. And it's the same UV index. And there you'd be like, wow, I really need to wear some, you know, SPF coverage. What it, what it did for me, to be honest, once I moved here was made me realize I just have no choice but to be obsessed with uh, sun protection. <laughs> Absolutely. Because it so goes with that. People think, oh, it's cloudy. I don't need, you know, and no. It, and that's why this is such a fantastic tool. Yeah. Temperature is really not a good variable. And it's the one for some reason that, yeah, that people rely on the most. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying like I'm surprised because it tricks you. Exactly. No, I used to. I used to. Next up, can I mix sunscreen with my skincare? So my makeup or whatever. Fact versus fiction. Oh, this is a good question. So the, the kind of official answer is no. Um, you really don't want to. And again, I keep saying the word film. Let's, we should have like a drinking competition. How many times do we say the word film when we talk about sunscreen? But it actually is really important. The big part of what a formulator does when they make sunscreen, in addition to, you know, getting the right ingredients together is also the focus on making it something that you can spread, that you can get that even distribution on the body which is an awful lot harder than people realize. Mm. It's actually a really tough thing to do. It's one of the reasons I have such a violent hatred of the products people make at home or DIY sunscreen because they are horrific. And when you, you know, kind of introduce anything into a sunscreen, you are fundamentally changing kind of the rheology and the properties of how it actually lays on the skin, how it folds onto the skin, how it spreads, and even the distribution of the active products that are doing the actual work. So the answer is no. You really should never mix anything with it. What we generally suggest is there is a paper in the dermatologic literature that said it takes about eight minutes or so for um, a sunscreen product to kind of effectively dry down and not be impaired by other products that are there. Generally, the accepted standard is close to about 15. So generally speaking, if you're really concerned, go ahead and put on your sunscreen, brush your teeth, do other stuff, come back, put your makeup on after that because you give yourself a chance to kind of settle down and um, really do that. But 
as a general rule, yes, you can layer with a little bit of waiting, but mixing is kind of a big no-no in Derm. Okay. That's really, really, really helpful. Okay. Next, if you're using a high SPF product, you don't need to reapply as often as a low SPF product. I know this one, fact versus fiction. What's the answer, Dr. Bilardo? You have to reapply no matter what the SPF is on the product. (laughs) That's one of their absolute favorite actual mythologies in that misinformation we were talking about. They love to say that you can just put it on once. And I think it's fundamentally because there's also kind of a misunderstanding of what SPF is. SPF is not about how long you can be in the sun. That is just one of those things that I think is commonly misunderstood. What happens? So so let's step back. What is SPF? SPF talks about a very specific testing standard where it is largely, you know, automated. There are lots of parts that aren't, but simplifying, you take this standard I talked about, which is two milligrams per centimeter squared, and it's placed on the backs of volunteers. A UV lamp is is, is shown upon them. And what you then see is how much UV it takes for the skin to become reddened, or what we call erythema, over not using the sunscreen. So what UV is a measure of is actually how many times more UV you can receive before you get a sunburn as opposed to bare skin. So that isn't a, a statement of time. That is a statement of kind of, again, a scale to give people a place to compare something to something. We haven't even talked about the fact that I keep saying two milligrams per centimeter squared. No one on planet Earth actually does put on that amount, maybe except you. Maybe nobody else does. And so, you know, realistically, this idea that people have, well, I'm using SPF, you know, 48,764. I can stay it all day. No. To wit, in fact, we even talked about before, like not being able to say waterproof, not being able to say sunblock. You're no longer allowed, actually, with the new regulations to even say in some places over SPF 60. You can only say 60 plus. And that's because of exactly that reason. Wait, but I've, I have sunscreen that's SPF 100. Yeah, it's not uniform. It's not everywhere in the world. And it's uh, not, uh, there's some exceptions to that. But basically, it's a, a set of guidelines because it gives people this false impression right? of, yeah, like you're totally covered forever. Totally. You are not. Incorrect. Totally. Especially because I think people can, like you mentioned, feel like a you know, a false sense of security when they put on something like SPF 100 and then not reapply when you really do need to reapply every two hours. I think the main point about higher SPFs, because you asked, is I think you should think of it as higher protection doesn't mean longer lasting. However, I alluded to this, but the reality is that nobody actually puts on enough. So, and this is another Durham paper. It's the the Yang paper. I'm going to say maybe 10 years ago it came out. Um, Also in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology, which is kind of our our spearhead journal. And that's just the notion that the one reason that dermatologists suggest that it isn't a bad idea to go for a higher SPF value is because people don't put on enough. And about average speaking, what you get is that if you put on a certain amount of sunscreen, most people put on about half of what they should if they're a good job doing it. And you get about, if you look at the scales, around half of the product that you put on. And using that mind frame, even though I'm simplifying tremendously, if you start at a higher point, you end at a higher point. So if you started an SPF of 30, you're looking at something like an SPF of 15. If you started an SPF of 70, you're closer to an SPF of 35. Not ideal, but certainly better. 
I mean, this stuff all exists in the spectrum of the real world. So the reality is this paper, the Yang paper from the JAD, maybe 10 years ago, that's exactly what it showed. That in fact, you will find that the mean effectiveness of protection that you get does relate to how high that SPF number is. And therefore, it's better to start higher than not. Start higher, but still reapply. Okay, this is a big one. This is one that I got nonstop in my comment section. If I use sunscreen, I will be vitamin D deficient. Fact versus fiction, Ranella. I am so glad you're asking this because this is one that the folks in Misinformation Central and, you know, Sunscreen uh, Misinformation Incorporated love the most. Okay, let's do this. So why is this important, right? We know vitamin D does lots and lots of important things. We know that UVB interacts with a protein in the skin. I'm simplifying just because everyone will lose their mind. But basically, you get vitamin D3, which is the active form. It helps to regulate calcium, helps to regulate phosphorus. You need that for important stuff like bones, like teeth, like muscles, you know, comes in handy. What happens if I put on sunscreen? I will not get enough. Yeah. So let's start there. No. No human alive puts on enough sunscreen that they are blocking out all of the UV to get the vitamin D that is needed. It simply doesn't happen. First of all, sunlight, UV rays, penetrates through clothing. So right there, the idea is false. Because again, the statement would require that you are literally putting it on and getting 100% protection on your entire body. Doesn't work that way. Even SPF 50 is blocking 98% of rays. So even fully coated, fully coated, you are still not going to get a complete blockage of all the vitamin D that you actually are needing to do. This has been studied in the dermatologic literature. And there are papers that actually speak to this very specific fact that you can be completely religiously upon sunscreen, and that is not alone. Now, what is interesting is frequent sunscreen use, again, has been shown not to be what lowers the vitamin D. It is interesting, actually, if you go into the derm literature, you will see lower vitamin D in certain situations. There are times when it is relevant. People who have diseases, for example, where sun makes them very sensitive, something like lupus, for example, something like um, xerodermal pigmentosum, where they cannot tolerate sun because it's very, very dangerous for them, where people are using extensive shade, where they stay indoors a lot, where they wear long sleeves. We see this for women who, for religious reasons, are heavily covered. They often will actually have reduced levels of vitamin D. This is especially mentionable and true in skin that is very poorly melanated, like you and I. And so this is less applicable, but not irrelevant in people who are Black or Hispanic. And again, remember, we are talking about often, this is spoken of in America, where people put on sunscreen for a beach day. Remember, we were talking about going to get the mail and going to walk the dog. And another thing, too. This idea that you need to be in the sun for hours to make this vitamin D, we're talking about minutes a day, and it's any sun. You don't have to be there at 12 o'clock on the hottest day of the year. Doing what we were talking about when the UV index is low for a nice stroll early in the morning, later in the afternoon, you are golden and good to go. So the reality is there are exceptions. If you are an adult over 70, say, um, if you're someone who is principally indoors, you know, if you are someone who has more melanated skin, if you are someone who for some reason, remembering that vitamin D is fat soluble, if you're someone 
who has a situation where you are not, you know, you're not absorbing fat properly. Um, for people who are very obese, that is another one. For breastfed infants, I mean, there are a couple of others. Those are the ones that come to the top of my head. Those are situations where, yes, you and your doctor should have a conversation. Probably when you get your labs done every so often, you should check a vitamin D level. Those people may benefit from supplementation. But this fiction that the average Joe is walking around desperately, you know, blocking vitamin D because of their oh so diligent use of sunscreen is absolute and complete and utter nonsense. And uh, that's a great point. Thank you so much for breaking that down because that is a huge part of the misinformation. And so um, even the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics recommends getting vitamin D through fortified food. So would you say then the, the recommendation that we see so frequently online in this space that people should just be exposed for um, to the sun with no sunblock on for uh, however certain many minutes a day to generate vitamin D, would you recommend against that and instead recommend they just have a discussion about their vitamin D levels with their physician? Of course. I mean, and let's just be clear, not just me, the American Academy of Dermatology, of course, exactly. pretty much the people who know what they're talking about here, um, which I would hope to include myself in that category. I will leave that up to the uh, the public. But yeah, the data, this is actually, again, been studied. This is not something we sort of just came up with on a Thursday, you know, walking with our, you know, welder's mask in the uh, sun, <laughs> like Dr. Bilardo. We <laughs> actually studied this in great detail. People on vacation, you know, with high exposure to UV can put on all the sunscreen they want. They're just not really capable with sunscreen alone to block it all off. Just doesn't happen. That's in a perfect scenario with perfect application. You just don't apply it everywhere. You don't apply it to the bottoms of your feet. You don't apply it to your palms. You don't apply it to places. And, you know, again, it's this small surface area with a small amount that is needed to stimulate that chemical reaction we mentioned. And, you know, even more insidious, this is one of the very favorite things that Dominga Paper talked about, where they love to scare parents. Oh, your kids are going to be vitamin D. This is one of the number one things wow. that they do alongside the, you know, again, my favorite, the DIY stupid sunscreen advice where, you know, oh, you're going to be vitamin D deficient. Absolute nonsense. Absolutely not true. All right. Excellent. So next up, oh, this is one of my favorites. This is where your world and my world collides. Okay. Oh God. My ancestors didn't have sunscreen and they didn't get skin cancer. What do you think about that? Well, they're probably busy dying. I don't know what the plane. Uh, um, why our ancestors will live one. to be 26 years old? Yeah. Like okay. This so, one is so common. I it's unbelievable. Absolutely love, you know, uh, these these Neanderthal people. And I mean, explain to me, these people, why we pine so deeply to live in Neanderthal time. Like, explain this to me. I mean, I remember when I was pregnant, my Opie and I were talking about different things and I'm uh, you know, the babies were big and I'm not and all these different things. And she said, we may have to, you know, we may not be able to. And I said, well, what happens if I was, you know, 500 years ago and I was, you know, I was determined to just have my baby in the fields. She goes, OK, well, you would die in the fields then. I mean, I'm not sure why there is this romanticism for a time when people died at 26. OK, I mean, it is a really silly point that just doesn't have a basis in reality. I mean, here's the kicker, too. I posted something like that, too. And it turns out, and I actually pulled this after, I, God love it, a follower of mine who is a museum historian actually sent me, I loved it, I read this paper, paleopathologists have actually now found evidence 
in the skeletons of 2,400-year-old Peruvian mummies of skin cancer. Wow. Hippocrates, Hippocrates. So, you know, not really in current practice, if we're talking Hippocrates in the 5th century BC, came and talked about black tumors with with metastasis. What is, to you, Dr. Bellardo, a black tumor with metastasis? All of these paleopathologists have talked about melanoma. Indeed, the fact that they didn't have a name for it doesn't mean it didn't exist, oh, teams of rocket scientists chugging down your meat bones. You know, enough. It is not a true statement. It is not accurate. And again, I am fascinated by this idea that we would somehow prefer to live. And by the way, if you, in fact, prefer to live in, you know, 500 BC, may I suggest you also give up your lovely accommodation and your car? I mean, why have it just for this one thing? Why not give it all up? All of life's conveniences can be taken away from you, too, sir. I mean, I just this is like the most moronic thing as they're talking about ancestral living while they're trolling us from their iPhone. You know, it's like I'm fascinated by this. I mean, is this a good place for us to quickly mention why these are the same rocket teams that come? I'm not insulting rocket scientists, far from it, but just the same people that come up with natural SPF, this idea that you can make it at home. Because I want to really debunk that because that just comes up again so natural and do, again. Natural do-it-yourself SPF. Tell right. us. So I want to tell you, again, two, two important papers. There is a paper, Gauss et al., which talked about very specifically the UV blocking potential. It's called the UV blocking potential of oils and juices. And the reason this is important is because every possible bootleg SPF, these juices and these oils are the secret sauce. That's their whole idea. Well, you're going to take it and you're going to mix it with this and you're going to do that. Okay, so let me quote from the paper. They found that the absorptivity of these oils were at least two orders of magnitude. That's 100 times lower protection compared to commercial UV blockers. Our fruit juice powders did a little better, but still a single order of magnitude. So 10 times worse than the commercial UV blockers. Why do you think that is? Well, remember we were talking about, oh, let's drink again, the film. A big part of commercial sunscreens is not just having the ingredient, but actually taking that raw ingredient and making it a product that can be applied and used on the uneven, bumpy hill and mountain that is your skin and mine. Also, you know those regulatory bodies everybody loves to hate on? See, they do stuff. They actually require that UV filters be tested to make sure they work the way those claims are made. In fact, one of the great objections we talk about all the time is, and this is actually a fair beef, that the FDA is still not approving new sunscreens. We can talk about that if you want. But the reason it's so difficult here is because unlike in many places in the world, the FDA regulates sunscreen as a drug claim. It is an over-the-counter drug here because you are making the claim of preventing skin cancer. So in order to do that in the United States, you have to go through a very extended testing process, as you do for any drug that you would write for as a cardiologist. And that requires that it works. Joe Schmokuhu is not testing at home. Also fun things Joe's not talking about, the fact that people making it industrially are putting in stabilizers, putting in preservatives, putting in things so that once you make it, it doesn't just grow over with microbes 10 minutes later so that you're putting stuff to give yourself an infection. So for about a billion reasons, don't do DIY sunscreen. 
in a best case scenario, and let me be clear, very little of what you see on the interwebs is best case scenario. You get about an SPF of seven. Wow. You know? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. So no DIY sunscreen. One thing back to the um, ancestral thing I just want to touch on. People say if you don't eat seed oils, you won't get sunburned. I just want to state for the record, as someone who spends a significant amount of my time studying nutrition science as a cardiologist, interested in preventive, uh, focusing on preventive cardiology and published numerous papers on the topic, that this is not the case. Eating seed oils <laughs> does not cause you to burn more and not eating seed oils does not prevent sunburn. Next up, physical mineral sunscreen versus chemical sunscreen. So lots of questions about this. So one, starting with how do they work? So what is the difference in the way a physical mineral sunscreen works versus a chemical sunscreen? I think that's probably the single biggest misconception that exists on social media because this misunderstanding, I think, is what has spawned just so much of the mythology. So let's just be real basic. Sunscreen protects from UV rays, okay? That is absolutely what is just to be understood. Sunlight is made up of infrared, visible, and UV rays in different proportions. UV rays actually by far the least as it happens, but the most deadly. And you have different categories within the spectrum of sunscreen. It turns out, you know, chemical or mineral, physical aren't even the best terms. Honest, the better dividing line and in other places where they have more filters, it's, it's more appropriately used. You're really talking about organic or inorganic compounds based on whether or not there's carbon. But because that language is in use, I will reluctantly kind of stick with it. It really just talks about here in the States, especially what ingredients you mean. So in terms of in the U.S., mineral or physical, we're talking about the use of zinc oxide or titanium dioxide and kind of, for lack of anything more simplifying, chemical is just basically everything else, all the very long names, all based around it. The main thing to kind of keep in mind that is really, really crucial is that they really fundamentally work the same way. And I'm going to say that again, because even when I, as a dermatologist, was taught this, it was taught to me wrong. Many, many people still believe this incorrectly. And there is just a tremendous amount of misinformation based on something that is still taught incorrectly. The American Academy of Dermatology, I still will see sometimes saying this wrong. And it's just not correct. The data is quite clear. They both function by absorbing the energy that is UV and converting it into heat. There is a small amount of what we call scatter by inorganic sunscreen, which is using a bit of reflection, but that is maybe 5 10% at best. They function the same way. So to answer now, how do they differ? Well, they both can give you good SPF. They probably, because especially in the States by our limitations, organic or the um, chemical sunscreens probably give you better UVA protection, again, here in the States. And what's really important to kind of keep in mind is that a lot of the myths are based on this idea that they function differently, this incorrect suggestion that physical sunscreens somehow lay on your skin and act literally like a shield. You will see diagrams of this all over the place where it's showing them, you know, bouncing off as if it's like Thor Neanderthal shield, you know, and chemical is actually absorbing. And there are so many things that are said mistakenly because of that, like 
People will say, oh, you have to put a chemical sunscreen on first and, you know, and you have to put a um, mineral sunscreen on last. Chemical first because it needs to be absorbed and um, mineral last because of shield. Nonsense. All sunscreen, chemical or mineral, should be the last item of skincare that you put on your skin. Period. End of discussion. It is not correct what we constantly see on social media, in articles all over the place. That is just not how it works. There is the same idea with mineral that somehow, you know, you don't need to reapply it because it's a shield. Nonsense. Absolutely untrue. They both function the same way by creating, what's our favorite word? An even film on the skin. And that is the film that then needs to function to absorb and convert that energy. If it starts to rub off, if you're sweating, even just putting on clothes, you're going to take some sunscreen off with you. You have spots that can then see sunburn. And we see that all the time where people come in and they put on sun, I put on sunscreen. What happened? I got a burn here and here and here. Right. You didn't do anything terrible, but you probably got wiped off. You, you just, again, have to think of it as an even film and about keeping that even film in order. That is the most important thing. And then, you know, even beyond that, you get this. Oh, and again, our worlds overlap where I see it constantly online. And it's just like, ooh, is this idea that physical sunscreen, because it's zinc, is somehow natural and natural is better. And the word chemical is terrible because chemical means chemicals and chemical is bad. And it is just such a load of crap and absolutely false and untrue. The First of all, let's start with the fact you don't just like go pick up zinc and just magically put it in sunscreen. It's processed just like any product used chemically. So all of this, this entire business model of sunscreen fear in where they get you terrified and they really try to scare the bejesus out of you into not using these products. Look, I have no financial stake in sunscreen ink. I do not get a paycheck every time somebody puts it on. My job as a dermatologist is to help you find a solution that works for you. You feel better using zinc, knock yourself out. So at the end of the day, you know, you really have to come back to the fact that this is simply something where figure out what works for you. If that is a mineral sunscreen, fantastic. I genuinely don't care, but make the choice because of actual facts, actual science, not because someone is trying to scare the crap out of you to get you to LinkedIn bio to buy their book or their new diet or their new supplement, which may I add, by the way, not regulated at all. Unlike these fun little drugs of sunscreen by the FDA. All right, Ronella, what about the topic of chemical sunscreens being dangerous because they're absorbed into the bloodstream? Yeah, I'm actually so glad you asked about this, too, because this is another one that kind of, I think, started somewhere and then kind of took on a life of its own. So let's do a little backstory, right? We talked a little bit before about how strictly here in the U.S. the FDA regulates new sunscreen products and sunscreen filters as a drug and the process that goes with that. So part of that process is that they actually are testing these things. So in 2019, the FDA did a study and they, you know, we heard all these terrible things. It was found in blood levels. Right. Let's look at actually the study for a sec. They took 24 volunteers and in study conditions. So not typical, just you and me like slapping it on. Well, maybe not you, but normal people slapping it on. They took these volunteers, 24, had them apply 75% of their body surface area, sunscreen, in the proper dosing 
four times a day for four days and measure their blood levels. So let me start with the obvious, which is you really cannot compare that to what somebody using sunscreen incidentally is. That's just like number one. Number two, it's also really important to keep in mind that just because you find something in the blood, I I think, again, it's something that sort of sounds scary, like the word chemical. But the reason someone like you or me, like a doctor, doesn't tend to get really like, oh, gosh, it was in the blood. Well, how do we get rid of things in the human body? We pee them out or we poop them out. How do things get to the kidneys that makes pee and pretty much everywhere else where the poop comes? Blood. Blood is the transport system of the human body. You will find things in blood. The levels that are put there are levels with a tremendous window of safety. So saying it was found slightly above their level does not make it an indictment that you are finding something dangerous or awful. It's also really important. They actually did a follow-up study in 2020 with 48 volunteers, and they monitored them. And what they found there was that the sunscreen ingredients actually was really something found to stay on the top layer of skin, which is, if you think about it, where you really want your sunscreen to stay. Because I keep talking about this film and the reason you need to reapply it, because the film doesn't last. So this idea that, again, the sunscreen is sort of magically sitting there and being 100% absorbed, it's just not an accurate thing. It's also probably worth knowing that oxybenzone, the one that kind of gets all this press, has been in use since 1978. And there just isn't some magically high issue being shown to be a problem in this, you know, 40 plus years of actual use. Again, I have no vested interest in people using a chemical sunscreen product. But this idea that it has to be wiped off the face of mankind and in so doing, making a large swath of people not have options that can work for them is really wrong. I'm a dermatologist. I actually have read the studies and I do know better. And I put on sunscreen. I put sunscreen on my children. I I don't know what else to tell people. Make your choices, but make them intelligently. Make them because someone is not lying to you and trying to frighten you. Make them because you want to be smart. That's all. That was really helpful. Um, You'd say overall, um, it's safe to use either a chemical sunscreen or a mineral sunscreen. A mineral sunscreen may be more helpful if someone's having irritation from a chemical sunscreen, but otherwise they're both safe to use and just find one that works for you. It is worth noting though, I get this question all the time. I use this, I didn't like it. Remember, it doesn't mean you have to throw it away. I have lots of things I've tried and don't like on my face. I'll use them up on my body, easy and happy. You don't have to get rid of something. One of the products I recommend to a lot of people, I hate, I I mean, I don't personally like it. It's actually a wonderful product. This is not me saying it's terrible. It's the Unseen Sunscreen from Supergoop. It's actually a great product. I personally don't like it. I find it really leaves me very slick. For people, which are a lot of my patients who want it to function like a primer, it's fantastic. I recommend it it to all people all the time. I don't love it. But again, that's my point. I don't have to love every single product, but using some of the guidelines that we just kind of talked about and being smart about it, make your best choice. But don't be fooled into something when somebody who has an agenda like Valisher or someone selling you a supplement or whomever is trying to convince you otherwise. And people love to come back and say, well, you know, why would this person? It's not always a straight line, right? Like it's not just someone is saying sunscreen is bad to sell you an alternative sunscreen. Maybe they're selling you a diet. Maybe they're selling you a book. Maybe they're selling you a supplement. Maybe they're selling you them as someone you can rely on and you follow them and give them eyeballs. 
there's lots of motivations to scare you about things. And sunscreen is just rich for this stuff because there's so many sort of scary things that if you don't look a little bit deeper, you don't get to. So last thing to touch on just to round things up, because this has been so educational and I, we love, we love an extended Ranella rant. It's always appreciated. <laughs> so now that we've debunked the idea that chemical sunscreens are dangerous and that you don't need to wear sunscreen and that you're going to have vitamin D deficiency if you wear sunscreen, all of these myths, tell everyone what to look for in a sunscreen on a sunscreen label um, and what should they look for and find when they're going to buy sunscreen. So I must come back always to the cardinal statement. The best sunscreen is the sunscreen you will use. I can tell you everything until the cows come home. If you don't like it, you're not going to use it. And no one has ever gotten protection from something sitting in a bottle. So at the end of the day, texture is critical. Find something that you like. Find something that you enjoy using. That goes beyond, I will point out, even just the ingredients. It's the smell. Do you like it? The feel. Does it work well with makeup if you need to wear makeup? These are actually really important things for you to consider as an individual. I alluded to some of them earlier. Um, again, so if you're someone oily, zinc tends to be good. I tend to suggest people look, I personally suggest SPF 50 or greater. I think SPF 30 is absolutely fine for day to day, kind of, you know, when you're not kind of getting out there. If you're outside, I definitely think I prefer to lean into 50. I'm a big believer in. Uh, water resistance being on a label. Always, always in the United States, you're looking for the word broad spectrum. And I know you just touched on it mentioning zinc, but I did get a bunch of questions from women saying um, people who are acne prone that say sunscreen breaks them out. Um, I know you have great tips for that. Could you uh, could you just give them some of your tips for that? So zinc is actually an astringent. So a lot of people who are oily acne patients actually find zinc very, very helpful. Um, there are now, one of the things we do have the luxury of is finding products that are not just sunscreen alone. There are a lot of beautiful products that are compounded with other things. Um, so you can find actually sunscreens that are very effective that have other ingredients in them, like hydroxy acids, like things like that, that actually can serve to treat acne while they are also working to do that. Acne is something we talk about a lot with acne patients, especially acne patients who are prone to pigmentation after the initial acne event is sunscreen and the need for it because you can cure their acne, but you haven't done anything if they've just got a bunch of spots left on their face. You haven't really done much to make them very happy. So um, there are lots and lots of products now that are really formulated with acne and breakouts in mind and very user-friendly. I will post when this airs, I have all kinds of cheat sheets and lists of all kinds of products at every price point. I have product recommendations in the $4 range. I have product recommendations in the $50 range. There is something literally for everyone. Thank you so much, Ronella. This was so fun. And thank you for just giving us all of your evidence-based derm guidance and info. And thank you for this therapeutic rant on the misinformation around sunscreens, skin cancer, and sun damage. And thank you because it's useful. I think that this is a great resource for people to be able to refer to when they see those common myths and misconceptions because you've cited so many important studies and sources. So thank you. I think it's most grateful, my internist, that I have a cardiologist handling this podcast, because every time I talk about this, my heart rate goes oh, yeah. <laughs> So very happy to have you standing by, Dr. <laughs> Bellardo. Thank you so, so much for having me. Thank you for joining. And tell everyone, where can they find you on social media? At Ranella, R-A-N-E-L-L-A-M-D.
You're on Instagram's your main hub, right? Is my, oh, is that the way you say it? Main hub. Yes, it's my main hub. Thank you, Ranella. Till next time, you'll be back with more. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I would love to keep bringing you all the latest health and wellness information and misinformation to debunk. So please do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating review and share with a friend. Make sure to leave a comment about which wellness bag you'd like to debunk next, and I'll get to the bottom of it. Follow me on Instagram at MD and our podcast page at Wellness Fact Versus Fiction, and be sure to tune in next week.